light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Welcome, Talk Catholic, the website.com, your host, Tim Kilcoin. No agendas here, just the straight and narrow, through Mary to Jesus, the Catholic faith proclaimed and preserved. Hope to see you here every week. TalkCatholic.com with Tim Kilcoin. It is our saint of the month. I am ever so proud to present to you Saint Mary Alacoque, who very much defined the messages of the Sacred Heart of Jesus for us. And if there was ever a time in the church right now, as this synod draws to its conclusions, this is the time to go to Jesus. Remember, even for Catholics, he, he is number one. There is no person on the planet that is a substitute for our Lord. Go to Jesus no matter what happens relative to this synod and stay calm in the boat because God doesn't change nor do his teachings. And I'm going to pound away at that till the day I die. One more time, down with woke because God spoke. He gave us divine revelation he told us who he was, and he put down some specific teachings for us to follow, and he founded one church. And I pray that the leaders over there in Rome might be thinking of the desert, their own desert, where they need to renew themselves in these private revelations that were real. We may not be forced to believe in private revelation, but those that have been confirmed and given approval by the church, we can rest assured that they're only going to draw us closer to our Lord. And so we need to listen very carefully to the mystical messages of some of these prophets amongst us from yesterday and today who speak literally to our time right now. So I turn to the website, catholic.org. St. Mary Alacoque, a French Roman Catholic visitation nun and mystic, is greatly recognized for her devotion to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. She was born in 1647 in France as the only daughter of Claude and Philibert Lyman Alacoque. Margaret has always shown an intense love for the Blessed Sacrament and preferred silence over typical childhood play. She began practicing severe corporal mortification after her first communion at nine years of age. She continued this until rheumatic fever confined her to her bed for four years. After making a vow to the Blessed Virgin Mary to consecrate herself to religious life, Margaret instantly returned to perfect good health. In recognition of this favor, Margaret added the name Mary to her baptismal name. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque experienced visions of Jesus Christ for most of her life, but thought they were a normal part of life and continued to practice austerity. After the death of her father, Margaret and her family were forced into poverty when a relative refused to hand over the family assets. Margaret's only comfort in life was her frequent visits to pray before the Blessed Sacrament at a local church. At 17 years old, Margaret's family was able to regain control of their assets. Margaret's mother started encouraging her to become more social and hoped she would find a suitable husband. One night, after attending a ball in an evening dress, Margaret had a vision of Christ, scourged and bloody. He accused Margaret of forgetting about him. He showed her that his heart was full of love for her 
because of the promise she made to his blessed mother as a child. After this vision, Margaret was determined to fulfill the vow she made years ago. She entered the visitation convent at para le in May 1671 to become a nun. St. Margaret Mary was admitted to wearing the religious habit in August 1671, but was not officially admitted to profession until November 1672. Although she was described as humble, simple, kind, and patient, Margaret had to prove the authenticity of her vocation. During her time in this monastery, Margaret received several private revelations of the Sacred Heart of Jesus. These visions showed her the form of the devotion, the chief features being reception of Holy Communion on First Friday of each month, Eucharistic adoration during a holy hour on Thursdays, and the celebration of the Feast of the Sacred Heart. The Lord Jesus requested his love be made evident through her. In her vision, she was instructed to spend an hour every Thursday meditating on Jesus' agony in the Garden of Gethsemane, a practice known as the Holy Hour that later became widespread. In December 1673, Jesus appeared to Margaret Mary again and allowed her to rest her head on his heart. His human heart was to be the symbol of his divine human love. He revealed to her the wonders of his love. He explained to her that he wished to make these wonders known to all the world and that he chose her for his work. Margaret Mary convinced her superior, Mother de Samez, her visions were authentic. However, she struggled with convincing others of the validity of her apparitions, even those in her own community. A group of theologians declared her visions delusions and suggested she eat better. <laughs> oh, don't we not talk about history revisited here. Even parents of children, she instructed, began calling her an imposter. Nothing like upstaging human nature, right? Margaret eventually gained the support from the community's confessor, St. Claude de la Colombier, who, who declared her visions were genuine. All opposition from the community regarding Margaret's visions ended in 1683, when Margaret Mary became the assistant to the superior. <laughs> Talk about power convincing. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm laughing because I've come across this in my life in dealing with clerics relative to mystical phenomena. And there was a great interview I did with now departed Brother Alphonsus Maria the Great on mystical union. And he was in complete agreement that three quarters of the time, it's that those around the mystic just don't want to believe that she's been given the gift, or he, of greater sanctity? Indeed, there's competition in the spiritual life. (laughs) But it should be leaven, a good competition. Let me go on. St. Margaret Mary, later became known as Novice Mistress, led the monastery in observing the Feast of the Sacred Heart privately and inspired the construction of a chapel built to honor the Sacred Heart. Margaret Mary died a couple of years later at 43 on October 17, 1690. While being anointed, she spoke the words, I need nothing but God and to lose myself in the heart of Jesus. After her death, the devotion to the Sacred Heart was adopted by the Jesuits but remained controversial within the church. The practice did not become officially recognized until 75 years later. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was the topic of discussion long after her death. People talked about her mission and qualities, her revelations and spiritual maxims, and her teachings on the Sacred Heart. On September 18, 1864, Margaret Mary was beatified by Pope Pius IX. When her tomb was opened a few years later, two immediate cures took place, and her body laid incorrupt. Oh, I yearn for the day that we hear about the saints' incorrupt bodies on the mainstream cable media. Oh, will that not be a new day that we get good news? Because of a person's holiness. Do any of them know the word? 
St. Margaret Mary Alacoque was officially canonized on May 13, 1920 by Pope Benedict XV, and in 1928, Pope Pius XI upheld the Church's position regarding the credibility behind her visions of Jesus Christ. St. Margaret Mary is the patron saint of devotees of the Sacred Heart and those suffering with polio and from the loss of parents. Her feast day is celebrated on October 16th. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, pray for us. And now I'd just like to go to a website, Church Pop, Com to share just a little bit more detail of some of these visions before we do get back to our book review, Who Am I to Judge, in the second half. So, regarding the first apparition, December 27, 1673, quote, One day I was praying before the Blessed Sacrament when I felt myself wholly penetrated with that divine presence, but to such a degree that I lost all thought of myself and of the place where I was, and abandoned myself to this divine spirit, yielding up my heart to the power of his love. He made me repose for a long time upon his sacred breast, where he disclosed to me the marvels of his love and the inexplicable secrets of his sacred heart, which so far he had concealed from me. Then it was that, for the first time, he opened to me his divine heart. It seems to me that this is what took place. Jesus, to St. Margaret Mary Alacoque, Jesus says, My divine heart is so inflamed with love for men, and for you in particular, that being unable any longer to contain within itself the flames of its burning charity, it must spread them abroad by your means and manifest itself to them, mankind, in order to enrich them with the precious graces of sanctification and salvation necessary to withdraw them from the abyss of perdition. I have chosen you as an abyss of unworthiness and ignorance for the accomplishment of this great design in order that everything may be done by me. St. Margaret Mary Alacoque responds, After this he asked me for my heart, which I begged him to take. He did so and placed it in his own adorable heart, where he showed it to me as a little atom which was being consumed in this great furnace, and withdrawing it thence as a burning flame in the form of a heart, he restored it to the place whence he had taken it, saying to me, My well-beloved, I give you a precious token of my love, having enclosed within your side a little spark of its glowing flames that may serve you for a heart and consume you to the last moment of your life. Its ardor will never be exhausted, and you will be able to find some slight relief only by bleeding. Even this remedy I shall so mark my cross, that it will bring you more humiliation and suffering than alleviation. Therefore, I will that you ask for it with simplicity, both that you may practice what is ordered you and also to give you the consolation of shedding your blood on the cross of humiliations. As a proof that the great favor I have done to you is not imagination, and that it is the foundation of all those which I intend further to confer upon you, although I have closed the wound in your side, the pain will always remain. If before you have taken only the name of my slave, I now give you that of my beloved disciple of my sacred heart. Wow. Now that is a divine encounter participating in the sufferings of Christ, for sure, joyfully. And it's possible for you. (laughs) I believe, I believe, it is not silly. I believe. Uh, Those are a paraphrase of the words of the little girl in Miracle on 34th Street. It's all about believing, and then God can work wonders. But you got to believe. See the book Hearts Aflame by Professor Alan Schreck from the University of Steubenville, and he talks so much about this treasury of graces that are at our disposal if you desire. The bigger question is, why don't you desire? Take that to your prayer next week. Take it to your prayer tonight. In a second revelation on July 2nd, 1674, St. Margaret Mary Ellicott 
said this, The divine heart was presented to me in a throne of flames, more resplendent than a sun, transparent as crystal with this adorable wound, and it was surrounded with a crown of thorns, signifying the punctures made in it by our sins, and a cross above signifying from the first instant of his incarnation. My divine master revealed to me that it was this ardent desire to be known, loved, and honored by men, and his eager desire to draw them back from the road to perdition, along which Satan is driving them in countless numbers, that induced him to manifest his heart to men with all the treasures of love, mercy, grace, sanctification, and salvation that it contains. This heart of God must be honored under the form of his heart of flesh, whose image he wanted exposed and also worn on me and my heart. He promised to pour into the hearts of all those who honor the image of his heart all the gifts it contains in fullness. And for all those who would wear this image on their persons, he promised to imprint his love on their hearts and to destroy all unruly passions. What a great battle plan for you students, especially in public school that are being verbally assaulted, the woke agenda, trying to utterly confuse what it means to be a man of God and a woman of God. If you want a good fight, metaphorically, fight for your honor, your dignity, and be a Christian in the open and wear a little sacred heart image of our Lord on your lapel, perhaps, or around your neck. Nothing too showy, but something, yes, to be seen for the faith that is in you. St. Peter will be proud. A third revelation, First Friday Devotion, July 1674. As I knelt before the Blessed Sacrament exposed on the altar, Jesus Christ, my sweet Master, presented himself to me, all resplendent with glory, with his five wounds shining like so many suns. From all parts of his sacred humanity, there issued flames, but especially from his adorable breast, which was like a furnace. You have to be reminded here, ladies and gentlemen, of the image of the divine mercy, no doubt. He then revealed to me all the unspeakable marvels of his pure love. He said, This is more grievous to me than all that I endured in my passion. If they would only give me some return of love, I should not reckon all that I have done for them, and I would not do yet more if, if possible. But they have only coldness and contempt for all my endeavors to do them good. You at least can give me the happiness of making up for their ingratitude as much as possible. Ladies and gentlemen, in such turbulent times in which we are living, this is a huge consolation for all of us if we so desire to take on some of that cross that our Lord is asking, for we can help with those who are blind as bats right now, who cannot see what sanctity is. We can atone and make sacrifice for their souls for their eyes to be opened, etc. And it's all for us, part of the baptismal grace we've been given. This is not just for priests, monks, brothers, and nuns, okay? This is for mature Christians who want to save individual souls from perdition, as our Lord uses that word more than often in these visions. And it just so happens to be a huge source of joy once you embrace as he would call it, our Lord, the cross of humiliation. I know this is tough stuff in the la-la world we live in, but it's real and it ushers in that divine encounter. Finally, in the fourth revelation, this is June 1675, Jesus establishes the solemnity of the Sacred Heart. One day during the octave of Corpus Christi, I received from my God extraordinary proofs of his love. As earnestly as I desired to make some return of love, he said to me, you could not show me greater love than by doing what I have already so many times demanded of you. Behold this heart, which has so loved men, 
that it spared nothing, even going so far as to exhaust and consume itself to prove them its love. Therefore, I ask of you that the first Friday after the octave of Corpus Christi be dedicated as a feast in honor of my heart. So we say with St. Mary Alacoque, most sacred heart of Jesus, have mercy on us. And I can't but just remember so fondly, my dad had a wonderful devotion to the sacred heart of Jesus. As the Irish traditionally have almost Every home over there used to have the sacred image in their kitchen, typically. But Dad would just say, if there was a dilemma upcoming, he'd say, Sacred Heart of Jesus, Tim. Indeed, Dad. When we come back, we'll get back to our book review, Who Am I to Judge? with Professor Edward Street. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. Let Louis Armstrong, live at the Hollywood Bowl, tell us what Halloween is all about. The classic. When the saints go marching in. Now when the saints go marching in, I when the saints go marching in, yes I want to be in that number. I when the saints go marching in. Saints go marching by. Yeah, by. I would like to hit the number. Here come Edwin Hall and his clarinet wailing there. Okay, well, Professor Sri is trying to get us to make a shift in our thinking away from that question, who am I to judge? In other words, he doesn't want you to engage in that point-counterpoint going nowhere conversation with a relativist kind of illogical banter. The person that's saying, who are you to judge, has other issues, like not caring about virtue in their life, perhaps, thinking that life isn't about virtue. Is there... Anything else we need to know at your funeral? I don't think so. It's all about virtue. And so what he's trying to get us to do here is to get into the relationship with the person first. And then maybe you can go to the apologetics later on. But you can't start there. And at the end of this chapter, he has some very excellent questions. He says, we saw that ethics is about how to move from who we are right now to who we want to become. 
from man as he is to man as he could be. What in one area of your life that you think you need to work on most in order to become the kind of person God wants you to be? I'm immediately thinking of a priest that I interviewed last year, Father Jonathan Meyer, out in Indiana. AllSaintsCatholic.net is his website. And at the beginning of every Mass, he'll make a little bit of a pitch to the congregation. How can I become a better version of myself? through this holy sacrifice of the Mass? What a great question for everyone. But he was adamant about the importance of thinking of your improvement for Jesus. I remember an old-time Jesuit from Boston College, my first theology teacher, Father Miles Fay, and he said, we're either moving forward or we're moving backward, but we're not in neutral. Thank you, Father. Here's another good question. Describe a time you personally hurt someone by failing to be the best you could be for them. Or think about this the other way. Describe a time you were hurt by someone who didn't harm you directly, but failed to be the best they could be for you. I told you recently about my friend that I had to call out a little bit, and he didn't hurt me directly in any one instance, I was calling attention to the simple fact that he's not rising up to the level that I believe firmly that God has called him to be. He's given him specific evangelical gifts that are not being used. And so he could be of great help to me with regard to any number of ministry tasks that are part of what I'm involved with, but it'll never happen unless he works on these other aspects of himself. And of course, he's taking it out on me by punishing me with silence. (laughs) Don't worry, I'm a big boy and I've been through this before. But some point, you gotta rise up. As St. John Paul II wrote in one of his later books. So this is critical to get to the table with these people that are quote-unquote moral relativists. Don't think that there is such a thing as objective moral norms or truth for everyone. You've got to try to figure out how to engage them in the great character debate. You've got to change the question, does the cultivation of virtue and character mean anything to this person as to what they're doing to become more honest, more generous, more listening, more courageous, etc.? Does that mean anything? Because if it doesn't, then holy smoke, watch out for the local public school, because uh, we only have all the greatest philosophers through the ages highlighting the importance of character. Or as C.S. Lewis likes to put it, the morality inside the individual, as opposed to social justice. See, they only want to talk about social justice, the issues, again, ecology, systemic racism, etc., as a big-time deflection from themselves. And what is ultimately more important, remember, it's not about this world. We are to be stewards and to take care of the environment and do all that we can to make the world a nicer place. But ultimately, it really is about individual souls and whether they're following the will of God in their lives and becoming better and better and better the way you know God wants us to be. To get to heaven, chapter 4, Friendship and Virtue. Calling people to love is not something our secular world can easily do. If there's no truth, no real right or wrong, no purpose or telos in life, then the best we can come up with is tolerance. Let everyone do whatever they want as long as they don't hurt others. Respect other people's choices. Don't judge their actions and get a bumper sticker that says coexist. That's what will make a great society. But does that work well in real life? 
Is that what will make us happy? Imagine if someone asked me, how's your marriage going? And I replied, my wife and I, we tolerate each other. We coexist. Would that be the ideal marriage? Similarly, if someone asked me, how's your family life? And I said, oh, it's wonderful. We have a great family. We haven't stolen from each other, (laughs) cheated on each other, or lied to each other. And we haven't even killed each other yet. We have such an amazing family. No, a great family isn't one that merely avoids breaking the Ten Commandments. A great family is one that grows in unity, trust, care, and love. Our hearts long not merely for tolerance. We yearn for love. Indeed, that's what we're made for. We are made in the image and likeness of the God who is love. God is not some impersonal higher power or vague spiritual force like in Star Wars. No, he's a God who is madly in love with us. He created us freely out of love. He seeks us out when we turn away from him. He even became one of us and died on a cross for us that we could be reunited with him. God's very life is all about self-giving love, and he made us in his image to live like him. This is how we are wired. Written into our hearts is this law of self-giving. Only when we live in imitation of the self-giving love of God will we find happiness and fulfillment in life. As Pope St. John Paul II often said, man cannot fully find himself except through a sincere gift of himself. Or as Mother Teresa put it, unless a life is lived for others, it is not worthwhile. Being respectful of others and steering clear of mistreating them is certainly important in any relationship, but it's just a starting point. It's not the end goal. It's not what brings us happiness. The real question in our relationships is not, do I avoid killing, stealing, cheating, lying, and disrespecting the people in my life, but rather, do I have the ability to love them? I'm reminded years ago, the Holy Father said something which I thought was most profound in an old homily, I believe. He said something, to paraphrase, I'd rather be part of a dysfunctional family that loves one another than part of a perfect family that doesn't. Or better yet, the title of an old book by a priest friend of mine, Monsignor Bob Gust, entitled, Love is the Message I Heard. This is WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. God bless everyone. Have a great week. Let your light shine. That is what it's all about here at WQPH Radio 89.3 FM. But we need to hear your story. You want your voice to be his voice. That is making the faith known to others. Please, my number is 877-625-3727. Tim Kilcoin, TalkCatholic.com. St. Mother Teresa told us, your ministry is your work right where you are. Grab on to this microphone. God bless.